0: don't know why I act the way I do, like I ain't got a single thing to lose. Sometimes I'm my own worst enemy, I guess that's just the cowboy in me.
1: Welcome to this edition of the Old Grab Podcast. Today, my guest is Trent Price, Company G3.
0: But sometimes I still wake up fighting me. And where this road I'm heading down my lead, I guess that's just the cowboy and me.
1: So Trent, welcome to the Old Grab Podcast, um, and uh, just uh, kind of doing this a little bit hot docking. We're kind of impromptu here. We sp- we spoke about it this morning, got ourselves together, and decided to move forward here with our plan to to do it this morning at eleven a.m. So, uh, so so, where are you joining me from, uh, Trent? Uh,
2: right now, I'm in Gulfport, Florida, which is a little town inside St. Petersburg, Florida, right on the west coast, uh, about uh, forty minutes west of Tampa.
1: Nice. How's the weather there today?
2: Oh, it's absolutely gorgeous. It's going to hit like 82 again today. Uh, Blue skies. Looking forward to a beautiful sunset tonight, about
1: 630. Nice. Nice. Sounds awesome. Sounds awesome, my friend. Um, And you left the Northeast. I think you were up this way not too long ago. Then you relocated down to Florida, right?
2: Yeah, I was up in, uh, in New York for right at seven years. Um then uh, I decided I was going to move down to Florida I had a little little medical thing that that forced me to leave New York at the
1: time uh would you like me to go in that a bit well you uh sure I mean we'll just kind of like free flow conversation here but bef- maybe before we go into that specific thing give me the laydown of uh what you're doing right now in Florida your family w- what's going on there like w- what's what's the update the sit wrap on on Trent price today th- at this moment
2: uh, all right Well, I'm enjoying life, man. I had a few incidents that really uh, caused me to reevaluate what's important in life, and I'm just enjoying myself down here in Florida. Um, Moved down here about a year and a half or so ago. Um, About a month after I moved down, my my son moved down here with me. He's 29, and my daughter, she lives in Florida also. She's uh, a little bit up north, uh, closer to the Panhandle. Um, She's just turned 25, getting, getting ready to get married here in a couple months. Um, so life is good.
1: Wow. So you're going to be the father of a bride coming up, huh?
2: Yes, yes. Uh, I don't know if I'm ready for that. Uh, weddings and and children coming in the future. Uh, I'm too young for that.
1: <laughs> How old are you? you, you you're you like, what, 50, 54, 55?
2: Yeah, either that or 13, one or the other. All right, somewhere in uh, yeah, between. I'm 55, and in people years, I'm uh, 13 in maturity years. I'm, I'm not uh, maturing as I grow older, uh, but that's cool with me. I'm enjoying myself.
1: Hence your, hence your walk-up song, The Cowboy and Me, right? Like That was uh, <laughs> an apropos theme song, huh?
2: Yeah, you know, I think along with that one, kind of another walk-up song that goes with it is uh, It's a Great Day to Be Alive
1: nice uh,
2: and then maybe a third one uh john fogarty uh rambling man uh have nice. lived all over the united states been all over uh and you know a little bit different from from a lot of people that that have a, a set home that they come to uh, or a place that they call home uh for How... me uh, Go ahead. Uh, I, I grew up lived, lived all over the country born in california lived in texas a year ohio for four years uh, Graduated high school down here in Florida, uh, then obviously went off to to West Point. uh, Spent a year at the prep school beforehand, so I was in New Jersey, having a good time there. Uh, Four years of heck at at West Point, and then traveled to, you know, like like everybody um, in the military, went to Korea for a year, Fort Bragg, North Carolina, uh, Germany for three years, and then decided to get out and settle in. So I ended up in Tennessee, (laughs) From there i went to new york and now i'm back here in florida where i plan to stay by the way i absolutely love it here i don't i don't plan on moving anywhere else out of florida
1: i know you said on the pre-call you've been happily single for 15 years uh so did did you get married right out of west point were you like right out right out of the gate did you get married
2: no um i was uh, about a year and a half removed uh okay went to korea for a year and returned from korea and, and got married
1: i see so you went to korea right out right out of west point
2: uh, yes sir yeah so what loved it there at, you
1: at, what um, you know were you what you know were you there and with what with what i, I with, was
2: officially i was with one four fa out of uh i don't even remember what the headquarters was uh but I was where I lived, I was with the first of five oh six infantry, uh right on the DMZ. We did DMZ patrols back. Camp Gre-
1: there. Camp uh, Greaves, right? I think, right? Were you Camp Greaves?
2: Yep. Yeah. Yep, Camp Greaves.
1: Nice. First yeah. of five O six. I out
2: of a hooch, I could see the North Korea flag flying, uh hear the propaganda coming out of the speakers. Uh, occasionally they'd drop the leaflets from the sky, uh have the wind Catch the leaflets and float down south. showing maps of how uh, the North Korean brothers that are in South Korea could find their way. Uh, maps with directions of how they could come into North Korea and be brothers and sisters again.
1: They said you're <laughs> you're. A small place. I I. They also said I was there too, and they said like uh, your girlfriend back home is 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 uh, cheating on you with Bart Simpson. They said, I remember hearing that. Like, okay. I'm not too concerned about Bart Simpson. I'm not too concerned about him. No. Jody, Jody's, Jody's probably cheating on, cheating on. Uh, yeah, Jody, anyway.
2: he, he, he was, uh, he broke up a lot of relationships.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know that personally, that, that, that experience. So it's not, it's not a happy thing. But you know what? You drive on. You drive on. So, so first of 506. You know, I think, was Johnny Braga there with you? I think he was, that was his first, uh, he was had his platoon there, I think. Our our classmate, Lieutenant no. General. No? No. Uh,
2: uh, it was first
1: of 506 and first of 503. Oh, Those are the two infantry uh, units that were up there, I think. Yeah,
2: they've been 503. Uh, they were around the corner.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, john lee was was there uh he went with the 506 he was on the on the gun line um uh, mm-hmm. about 10 miles south i can't remember the name of that uh,
1: you talk about camp casey
2: no it is north of casey uh a uh, little hole in the wall place um known for you know it's prostitutes nothing else was there well, isn't everything
1: there known for that? Well, Camp Pelham, maybe? Camp Pelham? Sangerie. I don't know. We'll we'll, we'll figure yeah, it out. Yeah. Somebody, to chi- somebody yeah, chime in come here. Up. I see that our classmate, Bonnie Fox Edwards, is on there. Frontline support. She was at Camp Edwards. Camp Edwards is where she was. Okay. Yeah, that was a good... That was a really great first assignment. I mean, for me personally, it was a great first assignment. Of course, it broke up my relationship, which was good because, like, you know... Life has a way of working out in the long run. Uh so but uh that, that happened to me. Old uh, Bart Simpson. Uh you know. <laughs> so, um Yeah,
2: I, I had a really good time there. Um a really good time and a lot of development there, you know. A lot more responsibility I think that and, and knowledge that I would have gained had I gone to a unit here in the states i, I don't no. know i may be incorrect but it really put things into perspective of being that close to the dmz and, and being ready at any time for um you know, for for hostilities
1: i was just telling the story of this oh. uh, the, the other day because kim il sung that was the original you know kim guy before kim jong il and uh, like uh like he was the original, the original, original guy, and he was like on his deathbed while we were there. And there was talk of like, oh, if he dies, like it's going to be unstable and there could be all kinds of repercussions. And, um, because you know, I was also up there at Camp Giant, and you know, our part of our part of our initial mission was to blow up Freedom Bridge, which was going to be this area that would bring in supplies. And I was thinking to myself, like,
2: I know it well because I was just north of Freedom Bridge and went over right um, quite a few times
1: yeah but like what responsibility there you are like on the on the frontier of freedom uh at that young age with that great responsibility it you know the the, the idea of having such purpose and such responsibility uh and it, it you probably don't get that very much in the future, you know, I mean, obviously, our classmates who stayed in the army had these other unbelievable sets of responsibilities, and to this day, they, they still have that. But when you become a civilian, you kind of miss that significance, that that uh, purpose, I think, that you might have, that like all encompassing responsibility.
2: Yeah, absolutely. The probably the biggest thing for me when, when I got out and started working in the civilian sector was that. The days, the work day was so short. I mean, we worked eight, nine hours, and, and then we're off until the next day. And I was like, wow, we I mean, have all this free time and, and no responsibility. You know, when first get out of the military as a young officer. Um, kind of entry level supervisor positions. And, you know, for me, I work for frito Lay uh, in, in the production side. Uh, don't have a lot of responsibility outside of work when it, when it comes to the work responsibilities. I mean, once you get off, you're off. Uh, now that changes as we uh, progress throughout our, our careers, but uh, first getting out of the military had all that free time and not devoted 24 7 to the military. That, that, that's probably the most significant difference that, that I've found.
1: Yeah, I mean, you, I think another big piece of this is that you're not specifically responsible for the lives of your teammates outside of work you know somebody gets in trouble you know f- for DUI or uh, gets into you know some kind of domestic uh, argument situation that's not on you like you you don't it's none of your business actually uh I mean you yeah, try to look at don't you don't
2: have to worry about monitor reports
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> but you you do have to worry about your people I mean that's I think a critical thing but it's always like trying to balance between and like you know being that caring supportive leader on all fronts, but also kind of drawing the line or, you know, there's, there's, you don't have response. You, you don't have responsibilities, so to speak, but you, you are responsible for the output of those people. So you want to support them, I suppose. Um,
2: Absolutely. Um, Regardless of what field that we're in, uh, we learn this, people talk about it all the time. It's it's the people. And and it truly is. Uh,
1: and, and gaining their respect. Yeah, I mean so you yeah. have been you, it seems to me that you have been in a lot of these direct leadership positions your entire career. Like you, you've been a, you've been a plant manager, uh, free to lay for 10 years. you moved into other manufacturing. It's you know, plant manager, plant manager, regional manager. You've had responsibility. You've had to manage the intricacies of human relationships and getting shit done your entire career. I think, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, that, that was a good transition for me, going from from the military to a production environment because that direct those direct relationships with with people uh, very very important uh, to, Did, to this day.
1: Yeah. Did you say you went through a headhunter when you got out?
2: I did, um, yeah, because I got out when I was in Germany, um, and I'd saved up my leave, so I had you know my ninety days leave to to get out. Um, went through a headhunter. In fact, Greg Wilcox worked for that headhunting head, hunt, head company. Now he wasn't my, my my point, but he he set everything up for me and, and did me well. So, oh, Greg and I, we, we were company mates also.
1: Uh, lacrosse player nice Uh, it seems to me that especially in corporate america at that time you know we're talking eight to 12 years outside of having graduated from west point there's huge demand for the skill sets that we brought to the commercial world you know leading like leading people production leading teams uh did you go to um you you went to craft Kraft foods is is that Frito Lay owned craft craft foods right, or no?
2: Um, if they do now, I don't know. At the oh. time, they did not. Uh, Frito Lay okay. was owned by Pepsi and mm. part of uh, Tricon Pizza, Taco Bell, KFC. Right, um, along with Gatorade. They yeah, they're still
1: they're so still Pepsi part of they're still part of that. So, so Tom, the here and now, you are currently a plant manager running. Uh, a chemical production facility? Is that what you're doing?
2: Actually, um, half halfway there. Um, I'm, I'm not a plant manager now. When I left New York, uh, I spent like the previous, I don't know, 10 years or so as plant manager and regional manager. I actually took a, like a two-and-a-half level demotion uh, when I took this job uh, because I wanted to have an income when I got down here to Florida. So, so I took that job before I came down here. Uh, knowing at the time I was going to have brain surgery so um, you know wanted to get my foot in the door it was a position down here in in Florida Uh, so I'm working for Ball Corporation we make uh, aluminum cans for for Pepsi Budweiser Miller Lite like that and I'm a a chemical process superintendent basically I'm a, a department manager there
1: so let's talk about that. So you were up here. It was it was pandemic, and you found out you had a brain tumor, and you needed to have surgery. And they couldn't do it up here because for elect, uh, they considered it elective surgery. Tell me this whole story about this the, the 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 original diagnosis and how you've been managing this very challenging uh, uh, medical situation.
2: had a brain tumor in 2016 that, that almost killed me and had this uh, amazing recovery from, from that. Um, spent about 30 days in the hospital total, um, but, but amazing recovery and so because of that, every few months, well that, that type of brain tumor I had, it was benign, it was called a, t- a typical and it wasn't cancerous at the time but left untreated that it, it could turn into it. And it was a massive tumor, um, gigantic. And because of that, every three months and then every six months, eventually I, I had to get an MRI. Um, See, so there was like a 70% chance that it would be a recurring tumor. And if it did return, uh, there was another 70% chance that it would be malignant, and with that only a 10% survival rate. So I was getting all these MRIs done and about two years after the, the first tumor was removed, uh, found that tumor started growing again. And so we uh, had MRIs every, every three months at that point just to, to monitor it. At, at, at that point, the tumor was small enough that the, the doctor said that the risk of surgery outweighed the risk of, of the tumor itself. They were hoping that it would stop growing on its own Uh, That didn't happen, and then as it grew, it it started becoming uh, more aggressive and getting bigger uh, to the point where it was, we found out later on, uh, it was pressing on the main vein that goes between the two hemispheres of the brain, and it was cutting off off blood supply. Uh, It's kind of having many strokes, like TIAA, where I would uh, lose coherency, uh, be ready to pass out uh, didn't understand what people were saying. It, you know, if you ever look up stroke symptoms, that's what I was having. Um, so it's getting close enough in size that the doctors were starting to consider, okay, we're going to have to do surgery soon. We're going to, you know, monitor it. Hopefully it'll, it'll get, get it'll stop growing. Well, the pandemic hit, and New York considered that an MRI was an elective procedure. I couldn't get MRIs anymore. Um, and I had them scheduled, and they said, oh, we'll reschedule for next month. Maybe they'll change the, the law or, or rule or whatever. Um, my symptoms were getting worse and worse during that time period, and they still couldn't do an MRI. And you know, I was going to die. I mean, getting really, really bad. So I had to leave New York. It was, had to leave quick because um, my symptoms were so bad. I couldn't drive anymore. So I, I put my, I gave my work a 30-day notice. Um, Symptoms got so bad, I couldn't stay there for, for 30 more days. I uh, ended up staying for an additional two weeks, and I had to go. Um, my kids came up, uh, and my daughter and her boyfriend came up to help me move. I couldn't move, I couldn't drive, and got rid of almost all my stuff, whatever we could put in the, the vehicles that, that, that they drove because uh, the pandemic was so bad. Everybody was leaving New York at the time. Uh, so there were no U-hauls available none zero there was like a 90 day waiting list for that. so I just got rid of most of my stuff and what we could put in a couple of trucks um, and and drive down to Tennessee. Uh, that's what I did. So once I once I got to Tennessee um, was able to get MRIs and so forth the, uh, the their course of treatment was blood pressure medicine and cholesterol medicine with the intent of causing the vein to be more flexible. And as the hope was that as the tumor grew that the vein would kind of bend around the tumor. Uh, What ended up happening is uh, the the body's amazing. Uh, The brain grew another vein and that tumor eventually completely overtook the the one vein between two hemispheres um, but I ended up being okay from the tumor, and, and the my symptoms got better because that other vein grew.
1: Wow. So
2: I eventually had to have surgery on it. We, we knew that when I moved to Florida, when I made the decision, I, I felt healthy enough where I wasn't having to be right close to the hospitals uh, all the time.
1: But hold, hold on a second.
2: Have have yeah.
1: Hold on a second. You're in Tennessee, though. So, like, Tennessee, you're at Vanderbilt Medical Center and stuff. Is that What What made yes. Tennessee the place that you wanted to go? Did you have, like, a base of operations there uh, that you were able yeah, to? My, my mother
2: lived there. Okay. Yeah, so my mother still lived there. That's where I moved prior to going to New York. Uh, she mm-hmm. moved up there when I was in Tennessee to be closer to you know, my kids. Uh, I see. Her grandchildren, and and she continued to live there. Um, so I figured if I was going to have to have surgery, and maybe she could help, uh, with the recovery. If, um, right. If that turned out okay. So I was there for about, about three or four months. And then so what, moved down to what's Baltimore,
1: the surgery, what's the surgery like? They, 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 so I, I'm picturing they got to go in like sort of in the middle of your head. If that's, if it's between the two hemispheres, right. If that, did they have to, where do they do the actual like incision? Uh, well, they, they
2: popped, uh, Pop the top off about um, the forehead to the top of my top of my head. Um, left and right to the left of my left eyeball and right of my right I guess it was probably a six inch by four inch piece of skull that they took out. Be uh, sensitive to people who don't like that type of, of thought. Uh, they call it a plate instead of the skull. <laughs> so so they popped that off and went in there and, and, and removed it. Now the first one that they did, because it was such a massive uh, tumor, when they they actually did two surgeries. They went in there the first day, um, opened it up, cut off the blood supply to the tumor. It was so massive, it had its own blood supply. And they put me in a coma uh, for a day and then the next day they went in and, and removed the, the tumor. The second one, that they didn't have to uh, put me in a coma or, or anything. You know, we caught it early. It was still growing. I'm still having a lot of a lot of symptoms from it, but it wasn't nearly as bad as the first one. Uh, and it, it was it was a tough surgery according to the doctor. Uh, he planned on removing the same plate that they did with the first one, but he couldn't get the bolts out. <laughs> I find that humorous. Uh, he couldn't get get the bolts out of it, or what they call it a plug. And so he had to to make the remove an even bigger portion of, uh, of the skull uh, to get it out. Wow. But I had a miraculous recovery. I'm telling you, I mean, God and Jesus Christ looked down on me for some reason. I don't know what it is, but they do. I was literally walking around the day after surgery, and I got released the, the day after surgery. I mean, it's an incredible incredible think that they did brain surgery removed a portion of my skull, and the next day I got released. But, but they told Holy me God. that. They couldn't believe it either that I pass all the tests that they do for for cognizant, for um, physical tests, hand-eye coordination, um, stability, and then the, the mental tests that they do for memory and making sure that a person can function. They're like, you passed everything. Medically, there's no reason that we need to keep you here in the hospital. You're welcome to stay as long as you want. Uh, don't have to worry about insurance or anything like that. Um, that but. If you want to leave, you can leave. And I was like, heck yeah, I want to get out of here. And I spent 30 days the first time in the hospital, and that was terrible. I wanted to get out of there as quickly as I could, so I got released the, the next day. And that was on a Wednesday. And Friday, I rode my motorcycle for the first time. I couldn't put my helmet on, though. <laughs> my head was too massively swollen to put the helmet on, so I just kind of set it on top. I got to imagine,
1: I, I got to imagine that's probably not uh, doctor approved riding a motorcycle two days after brain surgery.
2: Well, we had discussion and he had told me that I can do whatever I feel physically comfortable doing. I didn't rule it out. I felt like I could ride. So I did. Good for <laughs> I you. I went around the block just to say that I did it. But.
1: Yeah. Wow.
2: Who else can say is they rode a motorcycle uh, three days after brain surgery?
1: That's pretty, that's pretty impressive.
2: People are dumb enough to do that.
1: (laughs) No, that's pretty impressive, my friend. That's pretty impressive. Uh, So, uh, so now it's just a case of keeping an eye on this thing, monitoring it, and they'll have to do surgery again, potentially if it grows further. Is that what they got to do?
2: Yeah, um, this surgery that I have here, um, this is what I wish they would have done in New York. He had said that if we see it come back, when it's really, really small, they'll, they'll use radiation on it. Prior to having any surgery. Let's attack it while it's a little bitty thing. Uh, the challenge with that is that you can only do radiation one time on a certain portion of the brain. Because it causes too much damage to, to do it twice in the same area. So if we do the radiation once and it comes back, then they'll definitely have to have do surgery again. But at this point, there's only like a 30% chance it's going to come back. And, you know, he's going to attack it while, while it's small, before it progresses, uh, and, and and do that route, which I'm, I'm willing to take that risk of not being able to have radiation in the future. You know, go ahead. Okay. Look at the, the issue as it stands right now and, 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 and attack it. But uh, I, I'm not concerned about it. I'm really not. You uh, know, I've had it twice. The good Lord took care of me. If it happens the third time, so be it. I and mean, that's you know, the, the deck of cards I was dealt with, and not, I can't do anything about it. So just deal with it.
1: Just gotta live life, right? That's the plan. Yes,
2: sir. Absolutely. Well, I'll get one shot at it. We'll enjoy Absolutely. ourselves, and, and we worry about the things that we can impact. If we can't make a difference in it, then it's not something we should worry about. Just yeah. Enjoy ourselves and make other courses of action.
1: And so it's all about living every day, and you you got your son living with you, twenty nine years old, two two bachelors basically living there. And, uh, and you, <laughs> how's that how's that going? How's yeah. how's the, how's that relationship?
2: I love it. I, I really do. Um, I've got a great son, um, and he's like a chick magnet. I tell you, he's he's like just a hair under six, three, 200 pounds. Works out every day. Um, just not an ounce of fat on him. very 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 athletic extremely handsome great personality funny he's everything that I'm not (laughs) so if I were to to recreate myself I would recreate myself as Zach very proud of him outstanding young man
1: you ever go out with I imagine I imagine like it's kind of an interesting dynamic if you guys go out to a bar or something together like like you could be your wingman or something. You're his wingman or something, right? How, how's that go? We
2: we, we kind of talked about that a little bit, yeah. um, but he, he doesn't want to go out to bars and stuff with with his with his father. Yeah, um, he feels uncomfortable about it. I mean, we talk about things, and you know, they'll, they'll want to put a handkerchief or a sock on the on the front door to, <laughs> to come when, when we have somebody. <laughs> yeah, no, we don't do that. Uh,
1: okay we
2: call and text each other say, anyway, all right. i'm gonna be bringing you know a lady home tonight uh, okay all right that's still... <laughs> yeah but he does ask me for pointers about certain things and i'm glad i can help him out with that
1: yeah yeah it's an interesting dynamic i, I i'm sure i mean having adult kids it's a, just an interesting dynamic your kids were old enough how old is your daughter
2: He's just turned twenty-five last month.
1: Yeah. So I feel like they're old enough. That I mean, I don't know. I feel like that might be a good demographic to have not been completely banged up by the by the um pandemic. You know, these younger 20s, you know, like 19 to 23 year olds, 24 year olds to me, seem like they've all they've all got this kind of like COVID, post COVID funk trying to get them to uh to to function. You know whereas i think that some of these older 20 year olds might be a little more solid
2: yeah i know down here in florida it is a real challenge to get people to work and stay at a position um where i work at ball compensation for for hourly employees entry-level uh employees it's a pretty good paying job like 35 dollars an hour which would no skill other than being mechanically inclined. And we have so many open positions that fill and people don't want to stay, it's hard work. Um, they work four 12 hour shifts off for, for four days. Um, you would think that it would be pounding on the door to get a job like that. So we've got several employees there, hourly employees that have worked there for 20 years or so, and they're millionaires, they literally just because the pension plan is so good, the 401k, but it's difficult to get people to, to fill those roles. I remember seeing a, a sign at, at KFC um, out front, they couldn't even open up their, their drive-throughs because they couldn't get employees and they were offering uh, free health insurance day one, a thousand dollar sign-on bonus at, as, a, as a line cook, uh, saw that out of place. Uh, very much a challenge to get people to who want to work and do a job different different dynamic different challenge that that we had when we were first entering the, the workforce
1: yeah it's definitely an interesting time and i think the whole population uh demographics are quite interesting as well we're not quite at the point yet where we are replacing ourselves uh or where we like we, we where we are not replacing ourselves but we're headed that way like when we go under 2.0 like so like a couple has exactly two kids, they're completely replacing themselves. If they have 2.1 or 2.2 or 2.3, then our population is growing. And if it's below two, population is shrinking. And we're like, I think we're at 2.1 down from like 2.3 or 2.4. And this is what happens like in Japan, happens happen in China now, going about to be a, a population implosion. And uh, that, that has big implications for... How our country runs, how leaders have to lead. And so, you know, one of the challenges of our time and the, uh, all the 50 some odd year old Gen Xers is one of our responsibilities to try to figure that out. So,
2: yeah, that, and th- there's also another component of that is that people are starting families later in life 28, 29, 30 year olds uh, having their first children. And people are having children at a much older age, too. Uh, people 42 years old having have children. Well, we really didn't see either one of those when, when we were growing up.
1: Yeah.
2: I don't know how that impacts the the, the numbers, uh, you know, if we consider somebody who's 35 years old having their first child versus somebody who's
1: 24. Yeah, there are these things called population pyramids. Population pyramids, it goes, like, by age, like, you know, uh, women men you know how, how they how they look at each age group so it skinnies the it skinnies it out in the middle it makes it harder like as this kind of like uh this thin section moves it gets older and older there's less and less people of that age group to to fill in unless you do something else like i don't know immigration reform or something this is not a political podcast though so we're gonna we're gonna stay out of that right now stay out of that stuff yeah. but yeah. yeah let's do <laughs> yeah so well so so Trent um walk me back to pre-1987 like what made you think about going to West Point what made you interested in service to our country through the military what, what was happening back then
2: well I, I don't know if I've, I should admit this to everybody out there but my initial interest in in the academies is I wanted to I wanted to fly jets I wanted to go to the Air Force Academy. They, they were recruiting me uh, in football. Um, hadn't even thought about West Point, to be frank. And I wanted to fly jets. I thought that'd be so cool. But then I found out that you have to have 2020 vision uh, starting off in order to, to be able to go into whatever curriculum they have to to be a pilot. Well, if I couldn't fly jets, I definitely didn't want to be in, in the Air Force. Um, then uh, I got a, na- a nomination for for West Point, uh, and they asked me if I would accept that instead. And I was like, heck yeah! I mean, the lifestyle of somebody in the military—what I thought, uh, being a civilian at the time—you know, uh, jumping out of airplanes, rappelling down the sides of mountains, uh, firing weapons, throwing grenades, all that good stuff—I was like, that, that could be a lot of fun. Um, and in addition to the the education which is you know virtually unparalleled out there um at the time i thought i was going to play pro football and my thinking was all right if i uh go to west point if i'm good enough then uh, the pro football team would buy out my obligation and if i'm not good enough to make pro football i've got a career in the military doing fun and exciting things Um, i was pretty excited about that so i went ahead and accepted the nomination to uh to west point and um, plan on playing football for them. but uh, things didn't happen the way I
1: planned. But you went to the prep school, though, right? So how did how did the prep school thing work? Did they say we want to redshirt you in the prep in the prep school and have you have a year of lifting and getting in and better uh, maturity for football? Well,
2: it was more I, stuff happens to me sometimes. Maybe it's my lack of. of all up or whatever it was, I thought I was going to West Point. You know, I got the nomination. I'm talking with the football coaches and everything, and then all of a sudden, um, I don't hear anything from, from from West Point anymore. And national signing day for for scholarships occurs prior to we find out whether we're accepted into West Point or not and so the scholarship offers that i had from other schools they were giving out scholarships so so i I didn't have a scholarship anymore um and we followed up with with west point admin and found out that they had thought for whatever reason that i had withdrawn my application to west point
1: oh my god
2: Um, no yeah so the i was also recruited for brown university and they were my backup the head coach at Brown University, Mac Brown, who's a coach at at North Carolina right now, he was very good friends with my high school football coach. They both played together at at Virginia Tech. And he was at at Brown University at the time, but he had been the football coach and the athletic director for the prep school. So he said, hey, let me make some phone calls, see if I can get you into the prep school. So in 1986, I was the first uh, or the very last person who got accepted to the prep school. Uh, they had basically closed down, you know, the number of uh, people that they were going to allow to go to the prep school, and they, they make, like, an exception for me um, you know, for, for football reasons. So that's how I ended up at the prep school. I had, like, I had like four days to, to get ready to go. So they said, okay, got you into the prep school. You've got to be here, I don't know, Friday by 3 p.m. or whatever it was, but I had like four days to pack my stuff up and, and go. Uh, in addition to all the medical testing and everything that person has to do prior to entry to uh, West Point or to the to the prep school, it was a it was a very rushed time, to say the least.
1: Were you the first kid in your family to go off to college?
2: Yes, uh, first one to go off, first one to graduate.
1: Right. Um, so this is completely new yeah. for your family. Like nobody's able, oh, to, yeah. nobody's saying like, "What the hell's going on here?" Like you guys promised us a scholarship, and now you've you've basically through this communication snafu have made it so that I have to go to prep school for a year.
2: Right, and you know I, I didn't know how it worked. My mom didn't know how it worked. How you get into the school We were learning. Um, football coach, you know, he knew how it went with with big in colleges uh, but he hadn't had anybody go to to one of the academies prior to that so he was just unfamiliar ground for for everybody involved uh what are the steps in,
1: um so your, your last yeah, name absolutely. okay I, I was just going to say your last name p pr means that you were probably in charlie company there right at the prep school so you were with like yes. uh mark potter dave romano Was Romanowski, was he a, was he a preps or two? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, he
2: was.
1: (laughs) Got some real characters there. Yeah. Such an interesting little subculture, I think, the prep school experience. Cause you got guys like you that have come in straight out of high school that are athletes and maybe disgruntled. (laughs) What the hell's going on here? You got your, your prior military folks, you know, and then, and and then you got your uh, people that really, really want to go to West Point, but they say, we want another year of development academically for you and so what an interesting clash of cultures that that is you know
2: yeah and, and it really seemed like we you got prior service there and then you have kids right out of high school uh we, we could really complement each other like the, the people that are prior service always did they understand the, the military aspects uh how to out of March, uh, doing about-face, uh, different ranks are, so we're not saluting um, uh, NCOs, uh, all that stuff. They were great for, for assisting in, in that respect.
0: And a lot of them did, maybe didn't
2: have the, the, the academic background. So a lot of the, the kids right out of high school were able to assist them uh, academically. Now, that's not the case uh, across the board. That's a, a huge generalization. Um, in fact, my roommate, there.
1: He was part Power service and he, and he helped me out tremendously uh, academically.
2: Moni Washington she Different was
1: dynamic was, I think Moni Washington was in your uh, was in your group too right Ingrid Powell too yep
2: yeah
1: yeah, yeah. God, what a great what a great experience it had to be I, I, I kind of wish I said this multiple times but I kind of wish I, I had gone to the prep school. Just to have that experience, but then I wouldn't have had it with you because I was, you know, a year, a year different, but God, what a, what a fascinating, what a fascinating time that must have been, you know?
2: Oh, it, it was fun. Um, unlike West Point, we were allowed to take off on the weekends. So here we are, you know, straight out of high school, getting paid, you know, I don't know, $600 a month, a thousand, whatever it was back then, and we had no expenses, uh, all, we had room and board all taken care of, and every weekend we, we had off, and it was just a fun time. We had you know, The group that was there, the, we all hung out together, um, Brett Petkus, John Cook, Joe Tonona, uh, Brett Bourne, uh, Mike Luzowski, uh Craig Romanowski, um, Joe Tonona, um, Wow. Anthony DeToto. I mean, there's just a, a group of us that, that all hung out together, and every weekend we were taking off and going to some college someplace. Oh, uh, Brett, he bought a car, like a, a Delta something other, a big-ass car that would hold, like, ten people in it. And we would go and get a, a keg on Friday night after school, after classes, and throw it in the back seat or in the trunk, excuse me, uh, cut a hole through the back seat. Uh, we call it the lifeline. Uh, had the the hose from the keg uh, into the back seat, so we'd just be drinking going down the road, which is obviously not something I could know. <laughs> uh, oh my but God. But we, we take road trips every weekend uh, in th- different colleges that are around that area. So, so we had a great time.
1: <laughs> the lifeline, that's classic, the lifeline. <laughs> You know? <laughs> uh, oh my yeah. gosh! Yeah, yeah, well, you know, you can't have an open container of alcohol in the, in the car, but you are allowed to have it in the trunk. So technically, if you guys got stopped, I think you would have been legit. Like, okay, you're not violating any rules. What
2: would think? Yeah, you know, they get nitpicky with them rules sometimes.
1: Well, I mean that that's the prepster creativity right there. That there there it is right there. Prepster creativity. So
2: then, gotta do what you gotta do, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. So then you show up at West Point, uh, you know, in July of of eighty seven, and uh, and so tell me about do you have do you have memories of of beast barracks? Like you were obviously the squared away uh, prepster, so you're expected to show people how to shine shoes and get your you know get their 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 beds made and stuff like that, right? Is that what is that what happened?
2: Yeah, yeah, and and I remember uh, trying to teach somebody uh, how to do an about face. Uh, uh, Ken Gamble, <laughs> uh, you know. So you know, I knew the military stuff, how, how to make a bed, you know, do hospital corners and stuff like that, and just trying to teach people to to march a little bit. So so a little bit ahead of. of like my, my peers, my classmates at that time, but since school started, everybody caught up with me because I, I wasn't a rocket scientist by any means. I wasn't stupid, but we had some smart people that that, that went to West Point. I mean, really, really intelligent people. And so my, my company mates may disagree with me, but for me, I had to study my ass off there. It may not seem like to them that I was studying, but to me it felt like I was studying all the time. What? Yeah, I, what did I didn't you, have an academic background.
1: You majored You majored in um, in in dirt, right? You majored in uh, environmental science?
2: Yeah, yeah. So my intent was to, I wanted to, uh, initially I was majoring in mechanical engineering and taking mechanical engineering track sequence. And I, I went to my first day of thermodynamics and I was so lost day one. I didn't know what we were talking about. Were they talking the same language as us, as me? Um, so I had an open period after that class. I knew that there was no way in heck that I was going to pass thermodynamics if I was lost on day one. And I wanted to graduate. Uh, with uh, my my two academic goals were one, to graduate with a 2.0 and two, never have to go to staff. And I'm happy to say that I accomplished both of those goals. Uh, Good for you. But uh, I knew I wasn't going to uh, past thermodynamics. So uh, I had a free period to work out and saw my uh, academic counselor and I changed majors right there on the spot. So I walked to envir- environmental sciences and uh, my engineering track sequence was systems engineering. Which is kind of a funny story here. Uh, because I switched uh, to environmental sciences, and I had to take another year of, of French.
1: Oh, yeah. so that's yeah, not considered wait little... so wait hold on a second so is dirt dirt is considered not a, like because i remember when i one of the benefits when i switched over to computer science was that i did not have to do another semester of spanish which was kicking my ass so but you're saying dirt dirt i guess is considered to be like a, not a hard science so you to take another semester of of a language huh
2: I reckon so. Um, yeah. I just know I had to take another year. Um, and I didn't know anything from the first year. I remember we'd have these tests. And one time I had a test, and my name was in the question. I was like, what? <laughs> there not <aren't laughs> many Trenton, So I knew it was referring to me, but I didn't know what it was. Uh, so it asked me something in French about myself. I don't know if I got that answer right or not.
1: Oh, my God. Yeah, I, so I remember. She's
2: it. probably graduated now, so I'm gonna go ahead and say this, or not graduate. She's probably uh, um, retired by now. But my French instructor, my, my senior year, she and I hooked up. Uh, what? And yeah. Oh, this is <laughs> yeah.
1: a, this is a hold on, hold on. This is a good story. <laughs> what now? Oh my goodness. So how did this happen?
2: Well, we were just starting that. Uh, messaging uh, where you could direct message somebody with computers. And, you know, the instructors all had an open policy um, Contact them about any question uh, that you may have. And so it started off that way, and it was kind of interesting and exciting to be messaging uh, her. Um, And we kind of developed a little bit of a I don't know a rapport, so like a, know. there was definitely a vibe going on. <laughs> at the end of the at the end of the first semester. Wait, hold hold on, hold, back
1: it this, up, back it up a second, back it up. We have to build to the story. We have to build this story. So, um, yeah, I'm such a juvenile. I apologize, but this I hear about something exactly, like this. Exactly. We didn't talk about this in the pre-call, so this is this is this is radio gold here. This is radio gold. Um, is she a captain?
2: captain then well yeah previously she went from captain to lieutenant colonel in our four
1: years there um, oh so she was a senior captain then we're talking like see well i mean i guess you have to be a senior captain anyway to teach there because you're post your post whatever you know your command time and you've advanced course all right so she's probably i'm gonna say she's probably about 29 30 years old probably at this time maybe even older maybe 31 32 Right. and so yeah, what, what
2: um she graduated from there she was the first class that had women graduate from from West
1: Virginia. oh she was a grad too
2: yeah
1: yeah all right so she's wait so she's a so,
2: judo instructor <laughs> all right, don't judo give too many details
1: don't give too <laughs> don't don't give too many details this is a generic person we don't want we don't want to name names here right because this is part of my yes so all we know is that she was a French instructor. Maybe we should be even more generic. She was a language instructor, and so your your text yeah, message, go. you're messaging back and forth with her, and there's a vibe in the in the message back and forth, right? Right. So well, at, what at, at, the, say, at class, what at some point does she say? Well, at some point does she say, Cadet, what what are you wearing right now? And you, you're like, I'm wearing my um my my gym alpha or something. Like, what what do you? <laughs>
2: Um, that, that was after I
1: graduated. I'm wearing I'm wearing my super super <laughs> tight um, black Jim Alpha with the yellow piping, and uh, they were they were given to me when I was a plebe, and they're now just so tight, ma'am. What what more details do you exactly. need? Right? Is that what you're saying to her?
2: <laughs>
1: right. All right. And I'm in my room, so I'm wearing my black socks to go with them. <laughs> oh my goodness! All right, so yeah, so, so we had
2: this. Um, Every class, at the end of the class, if somebody had a saying that they wanted to learn uh, how to say in French, uh, we would write it down and give it to her, and, and she would tell the class how, how to say it. So we had that little vibe going, and my my question getting my turn was, how about a blowjob? What? Um, yeah. <laughs> and so uh, so she... Uh, so she did it, and, uh, you know, we had to write it down and turn it in, and, uh, um, and she uh, translated it for us, so I had to say it. Well, left that, in, at the end of it, I wrote, how about a blowjob, uh, Cadet Price, signed it, uh, turned it into it. Well, she left it on the desk, and the next class came in, and somebody it had fallen on the floor, and somebody saw it on the ground and picked it up, and it was, oh, my God, actually, it said... Uh, Captain so-and-so. I think she was a major at this time. So major, major so-and-so, how about a blowjob signed by Cadet Price? And the person found it on the floor and saw it and like holy shit, and, and gave it to her and turned it into her. <laughs> um, I remember her telling me about that story. Um, and She had to play it off like, oh, it was an Argo that somebody had submitted a uh, translation. <laughs> so,
1: so all right. So then what, do you go in for like additional instruction or something? You, you got the chat bot going back and forth. And at what point do you. Yeah. Okay. And then.
2: Well, I didn't have a sponsor. I mean, I did, but I never you know, I met him one time as a plebe and never followed up. And so I told her that I really respected her and I asked her if she would be my sponsor. And. and she went through the channels, make sure it would be okay, uh, blah, 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 and it was okay for her to be my sponsor. So my second sponsor.
1: Hold, hold, on, hold, hold on a second. Hold on a second. I got to bet Is she single or is she married?
2: Oh, she's single. She's okay. in those barracks right off
1: post. Cause that, okay, because that and, seems to me, I thought that you had to be married to be a sponsor of a cadet. But maybe not.
2: Well, maybe that's why that she had to go to the channels.
1: Oh, um, probably. Right. Uh, okay. I, I, I
2: don't really recall. I just remember that she had to get approval. Um, I don't know if it's because I already had a sponsor or because uh, she was single and i was single. And right. Right. The thing and we don't want to have anything like that happen.
1: Right.
2: So, so she got it approved and that allowed me to come over and see her sometimes uh, as with, when other classmates would come over. So. Once a semester, uh, she would have at the end of, end of the semester a get-together where she would cook a French a meal uh, for everybody. And so I, this was at the end of my my uh, senior year because I was allowed to drink. She had wine there and we were drinking wine, everybody's eating and drinking wine. And at one point she and I were the only two people in, in the kitchen. Um, one thing led to another and we, we started making out um well then it was time to go and everybody drove back on post got on post however um and then afterwards i left post went back to her to her condo or apartment wherever she, she was staying and stayed the night there that was the first time that we got together Oh my God! You know that parking lot out there by the uh, by the golf course, um, where the ski slope is.
1: Yeah, Victor Constant ski slope. Yeah.
2: Yeah, we, she'd pick me up where I would walk off post, and then we would drive there. Uh, Quite a few. And I wow. would stay with, with her over the weekend, but but when I was there, <clears throat> I'd have to sneak out at odd hours when nobody could, could see me in the middle of the night or early in the morning. Um, so you know, can't have a cadet in, in, in their living quarters. Uh, so it was risky on her part and my part, but I don't know. When those hormones get to going.
1: Wow. So did you did you let anybody else any any of your other company mates know about this?
2: You know they know about it now. Some of them do. Um, yeah. I don't recall when when they found out. I don't remember if I was, when I was still in school or or not. I, I just don't recall.
1: Yeah. I mean, because you probably, on the one hand, you're—I mean, it's—it's an unbelievably incredible story, and you want to share that with your friends. But on the other hand, you're saying yourself like OPSEC, like all you need is one person right. to say the wrong thing, and it's it's not not only is that relationship over, but you know, her career is over. You're probably in big trouble too, but maybe not because you're like supposedly uh, like I you know,
2: probably would gotten caught out or kicked out. I'm, I'm pretty. You I, think? I, knew I don't. That, I, I, I think that.
1: You might've been able to like, you know, basically play the card of, uh, I'm just a young impressionable cadet. And I, you know, you might've been, able, who knows, you could probably could have sued West Point or something and said like, I'm, you know, I, 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 I for I a traumatic ex- award
2: for it, right? <laughs> <laughs> Cadet of <every> the year.
1: <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Wow. What a story. What a story, you know, we, so on our pre-call, we were talking about like cadet stories that we were going to discuss. This did not come up, um, but I'm glad it did. Cause it's a classic story, but another, another story you had was, uh, we'll go to this one first and we'll end with the uh, drinking slug, but you got your ego handed to you in a major league way when you were at Beast barracks, right? Cause here you are, you're a stud football player in high school you recruited. you got offers to go to Brown. You think you might go to the NFL. You have aspirations for football well beyond college. And then what happens here in Peace Barracks?
2: Oh, wow. I, I, I played middle linebacker, and you know, I was pretty good back in the day. I was All-State down here, down here in Florida, and I had scholarship offers. And I thought I was playing professional football. One of the things I thought about going to West Point is that if I was good enough, then an NFL team that drafted me, they'd pay off my obligation and so forth. So, and, and if I didn't make it, then I still had you know, the Army career. Uh, well, I, really, I firmly believed that I was gonna play NFL football. And yeah, I went to the prep school, played there, learned the system. Um, but I was so small for a little middle linebacker. I started, went into Beast Barracks at 192, which is even small then. You know, normal middle linebacker, small ones, 210, uh, usually the 230, 240. I dropped so much weight. I, I dropped, got down to 178 pounds, and I got cut from the team before we even put pads on. You know, I was never a big guy, uh, but I understood technique. I understood football. I could see the flow of the plays and know where to go. Um, but I wasn't very big where I could take on those, those, those big linemen. And when I lost so much weight, uh, I got cut from the team before we even put pads on. Um, spring of a plebe year, that they, they had a tryout, and I didn't get a chance to try out. Um, going into yearling year in, into the fall um, I wasn't able to try out. So I called my the, the coach at West Point Prep School who was then the athletic director and asked him and said, hey what, what's going on here? you know I just want to pad a try out. Uh, Else. I think I can make the team if I can show them what I can do with pads on. But if you look at me, you know, I'm just a small, scrawny kid. Um, so he called uh, Coach Jim Young. Um, Jim Young summoned me up there to to his office, and I wanted to make an impression on him. So I wore two sets of sweats trying to look as big as I could be. I stuck newspaper into my, into my shoes trying to look taller and went up there to, to meet him and try to stick my chest out and flex my arms uh, try to look bigger and uh he, he said that he'd give me a trial uh,
1: you were like the uh like, you're like the saturday night live the hans and franz skit right you're walking, yeah, you're walking up there, yeah like the
2: exactly <laughs> yeah. hans and franz that was me uh <laughs> going up there to pump him up
1: <laughs> so
2: so i went up there and he said he'd give me a give me a trial uh, and probably my biggest accomplishment um, when it came to, to, to football, um, during that spring, uh, the, the linebackers coach called me outside after practice one day um, asked me to come on down to the field with me and I thought he was going to tell me I didn't make the game and got down there um, started talking about I need to put some weight on, I need to get bigger, I need to eat more. Eat everything I could at tables. Work out hard. And he says because you're going to have to put some weight on you to uh, in order to play play football. And he, he told me one me start doing that. And I, and I was like, so so I made the team. He said, yeah, you made the team. And I was like, I was before so happy. I was on cloud nine that that I made the football team. That that was. Probably my best day to include graduation. That was probably my, my best moment, at, at, happiest moment at West Point when when I made the football team after I didn't even get her an opportunity prior to that. It wasn't it wasn't hooking up with the French,
1: it wasn't hooking up with that French teacher. That wasn't the happiest moment.
2: Uh, actually, believe it or not, it wasn't. think uh, <laughs> the football team was my happiest moment. Wow! Uh, graduating That's... the second happiest and then the the French teacher. <laughs> but but I was too small. I really was. I couldn't gain weight. The, the most I ever weighed, even while I was playing on on tables, I got up to two hundred six at the beginning of the season, um, and all that weight came off. Came off, man. Dropped down to one hundred ninety eight. I was eating every meal until I was virtually sick. If eat another bite, I'd be throwing up. Uh, trying to gain weight, which which a lot of the players were. You know, I wasn't the only one. That that. That regiment at West Point is just not conducive to gaining weight. Yeah. So, but but I was just too small. Um, within a, like a six month time frame, I had to have surgery on my shoulder, had the AC joint removed, um, i had separated it, uh, had to have the bursitis sac and my elbow removed. I tore second degree tear of my, my MCL uh, in football, and then. I was in fall, uh, in spring, and then come fall, I, I, another second degree. You know, wasn't wasn't bad enough that I had to have surgery, but it was bad enough that that I was out for extended time. After that second time of turn my ligament, um, realized I'm just just too small for for this this regimen. I can't put the weight. Yeah. So I had to hang up my cleats.
1: Move on to bigger and better things, right? So, uh yes, so sir. Another thing here is you walked two hundred and six hours as a cadet, but you said you're innocent. And they're all bullshit. You should not I have was. gotten any. They were completely. out to
2: get me. They were out <laughs> to get me. Someone else. So I got framed. <laughs> I was, I was innocent. I was the the most. Uh, I followed all the rules to a T at all times. Um, anything I could do to make sure that I was a rule abiding student i did um, i got six, it i got it six
1: hours <laughs> 206 hours a big a big part of this too was uh involving our former classmate ernie blankenship right so tell me that story
2: yeah well Ernie, he's a good guy anybody that knows ernie knows exactly what i'm talking about he, he's just a hilarious very good person um funny as can be and he I've kind of picked up a, a little Southern accent over the years. Uh, he had a serious Southern accent. He's out of Cincinnati, Ohio. I didn't know there were Southern there. Uh, funniest guy. But uh, prior to the, the Syracuse game, um, our, I remember our junior or senior years, uh, that we had a, a, a trip football team was playing Syracuse at Syracuse. Syracuse was pretty good at the time. They had Donovan McNabb and they were nationally ranked and so forth, so it was a big game and there's was a field trip where everybody could go. Well, I, didn't, I hadn't signed up for it. Craig Romanowski, he thought he was gonna be on the traveling team. Um, he didn't make the traveling team, so he didn't get to go to the game. And Ernie Blankenship had a golf tournament. He was on, on the golf team. And so he didn't get to go. So we borrowed one of the first, so, so this was our junior year. So We borrowed one of the first these cars and we blew post and the three of us got two cases of beer after drinking half of three quarters of the first case we decided well let's let's not go on post drinking and driving so let's go ahead and get on post now Um, because we had to go through the gates and we parked over there on top of i don't know macarthur barracks one of the academic eisenhower hall someplace there's a parking lot on the very top but we parked over there and the three of us drank two cases of Well, tax came and we had to get back to our room. So we go running across the the plane, stumbling everywhere, trying to get back to our room, check in for, got in our rooms for check in. Now Craig, he he was a different company. I think he's an F2. Uh, But Ernie and I, we were in the same company. Uh, So we go in for room check, we're there, and then we were drunk. We want to go socialize and there's this uh, other cadet that didn't go to the, the trip when we were in his room uh, bullshitting around and all, getting ready to leave, and I see the O.C. walking down the hall. And I said, oh, shit, here comes O.C. on tied So each one of us hid in a, in a wall um, that You know, he's got that little hole in the center of them where, where the handles are. Uh, yeah. So I'm peering out the hole in the O.C. So this, this is
1: in the barracks. So you jump into the barracks, into the uh... – into the, I don't think it was a wall lock. It was like a, what do they call it? The wardrobe Yeah, I don't remember right? the
2: exact term. Yeah, the, the wardrobe.
1: Yeah.
2: Yes. So the OC comes in and starts talking to, to the cadet that, that's staying there. Well, I hear this big commotion, and Ernie fell out of the, the wardrobe.
1: Next to you. <laughs> and I
2: hear the OC. And I'm, yes. So I'm poking and staring at the little hole there, and I see Ernie, and I see the OC, and the OC says, well, well what are you doing? um uh, he says uh, are you coming or going because we were in cities and uh ernie says uh i'm i'm coming here sir uh, i had a golf tournament today that's why i'm in cities uh he said hey, what's your name and okay ernie saw the name on the door you know our name tags and he said i'm, I'm cadet Sosby." And we we're like oh shit uh, so ernie didn't know what was going on um OC wrote down his name and went on his merry way. Uh, I got out of the walk,er like shit, man. Ernie, what'd you do? Um, So Ernie about passed out right there, just from the alcohol. So took him down to his room. He passed out. The next day, get up and go talk to him. He didn't remember anything about it. Told him, told him what happened. Uh, So he went and turned himself in to the um, honor captain or whatever. Um, Had to have an honor board. Uh, unfortunately, he got kicked out for it, and that's that's a bad thing about this store that I don't like about it. But he he's doing great. Um, back to Cincinnati, he's doing great. But anyway, this honor board I had to go to to, to support Ernie and, and tell him tell him what what happened. That we were really really, extremely drunk. Well, that that, that captain that sat in on on the honor board, but he didn't know that I was in the the Wallhocker, uh the wardrobe or whatever. And he found out when I gave my testimony he was so dang pissed um, but anyway, I got like nine million hours a gazillion wait, get, and wait did you get hours, did you get
1: hours do you get hours for that for for did they say yeah. wait a minute so you so yeah. <laughs> you, so you got our you were a character witness for ernie, and they said, wait a minute, what the hell was he he was drunk too let's let's just let let's let's uh Jacked this guy up too? Is is that what happened?
2: Yeah, yeah. Oh, I think, I don't man. know how many demerits or hours I got. I mean, it was a lot. Was was it
1: eighty? It seems like that should be 100. like, uh, that should like just like self incrimination. Like you should be absolved from that somehow. You yeah. should, yeah. should write a letter. You should write a letter back. Or something. Yeah. Wow.
2: But they, they were just out to get me. they no, I was in all charges for all my hours except for one. There was mm-hmm. one that I, I admit I was guilty.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, I
2: came back, well, I came back for, uh, on a Sunday. I spent the weekend with my girlfriend down in Temple, down in Philadelphia. Came back, getting ready for uh, for formation, and people were like, where you been? And I'm like, what do you mean? Uh, I said, well, you're late." Right. I said, no, we still got 15 minutes till formation. I said, no, uh, formation was 45 minutes ago. So uh. We had time change, and I didn't know it.
1: That's the oh. worst feeling. That's the worst feeling. Yeah. When it's already too late. Yes. When it's too late, you can't do anything about it. You just like shrug your shoulders, like, yeah, what can I do? Yeah. So yeah, wait so a minute. My,
2: my girlfriend at the time, she was she was going to graduate school, getting her doctorate uh, at Temple. So she'd come up on, every Friday or Saturday, depending on when we were able to take off, and we would get holed up at, at her place and you know have somebody leave her bedroom, you know how hormones raging and stuff like that so that weekend we didn't even turn tv on didn't, didn't wear a watch uh, said no didn't idea whatever. you're like or, off, a watch, didn't ever, off the grid
1: off yeah. the grid totally off the grid but look at you casanova you have a home and away game thing going because you got the girlfriend in temple and then you got the pee over here at west point right or was, was there overlap there or was it two different times
2: yeah, it was during the same time period, uh, we, we oh, dated man. all four years, uh, however, we we had an open relationship, <laughs> and it is something that, that I had recommended, because she was going to civilian school, she went to Florida State University in a graduate temple, you know, I was going to West Point, I was stuck there, she was living in the party life, and I wanted her to have the college experience, and part of that is dating, and we just didn't want to know about it, type of deal.
0: Hmm. Mm. So
2: we didn't discuss it. Uh, so I wasn't cheating on her. Because um, that's something I've never done that, that I'm mad about? You uh, know, I just I date a lot, but but I don't. If I'm in a committed relationship, I'm with that one individual. Just one. Mm-hmm.
1: I Mhm.
2: So so yeah. So that that's how that came about. I was guilty of that one. I showed up, you know, an hour late.
1: Well, so yeah, fast forward then. For yeah. Yeah. Slug for that too. So fast forward you. You you graduate commission field artillery to Korea, advanced course Germany and uh, what were some of the most memorable experiences in the army for you?
2: I really enjoyed well being in Korea. I had a great time. But probably my most enjoyable time was when I was in uh, in Germany. I was part of the, the Fifth Corps Doc, the Deep Operations Coordination Cell. And during that time period, doctrine had not caught up with technology. Um, We had platforms that, you know, ATACMs that could fire out to 100 100 miles. Had Apache helicopters that could go out there. Uh, The difference between air interdiction versus close air support, you know, came down to the fire support coordination line, the, the thistle. And how we managed and integrated and coordinated all that. Uh, synchronized it was, was completely different from what the, the Army and the military as a whole had, had experienced. And we had a, we were being evaluated, BCTP, um, coming out uh, a week or two week exercise, and sitting down and, and talking with the evaluators uh, before the, the evaluation, um, just discussion of the placement of the pistol, uh, air and addiction, uh, electronic warfare, and how we coordinate all that with uh, the different platforms that we had. And after the the evaluation, uh, when the exercise was over, they had evaluated me as the the most knowledgeable captain in joint fire support that they had ever evaluated. I was pretty proud of that because there yeah. are so many different elements that, that come into it. Um, and I, at a time period, you know, I was only a captain at the time, um, and for a while there I, I held a position as uh, a as lieutenant colonel. Um, uh, so, but probably my second most um, item that I'm, that I'm proud of for my military service is that when I left that unit, the command sergeant major gave me a, a coin um, and you know, he really, really genuinely thanked me uh, for for my time there. Uh, we had done a transition when I first got there. we were, you know, with Bosnia going on, um, that we re- were really focused on that as opposed to high um, you know, Hinton conflict. Uh, and the when we when we had the second Gulf War. I knew what was going on with that because I helped write the, the op plan for it for the, for the deep fire uh, portion, knew, didn't know the specific maneuver units that were going, but knew where, where they were going to be and the avenues approach and, and, and what we were going to do. So I got to watch it on TV like the rest of us did, uh, who didn't deploy. Um, and it, 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 was, it was pretty cool. To, uh, excuse me, this was the, the second go for.
1: Right, right
2: um you know because i i uh, helped my thought plan for that and uh that was pretty cool there but the it's a kind of a surreal me, uh, one of his coins
1: kind of, well uh, the two, two things i think about like probably one of the greatest compliments you can receive as an officer is a non-commissioned officer giving you unsolicited uh positive review or or you know praise like that that's especially from a sergeant major or first sergeant or whatever. I think that that's probably one of the things that, you know, nobody does it because they want to be liked, but when you get some kind of a nod like that from a senior non-commissioned officer, it really feels good, I think. So kudos to you on that. Yeah. And I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, so we're getting kind of towards the end of the podcast here and, you know, Trent, this has been awesome talking to you. I, I, uh, we didn't do a whole lot of prep for this like I typically do, but we made it work and impromptu, and I appreciate your flexibility, and uh, it's been a, kind of a crazy week for, I think, for both of us putting this together. You got your phone run over by a car, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right.
2: yeah. Yeah, I was riding my motorcycle. I was going to a resort, um, and I hit a bump and the... where. My phone attaches to the case, attaches to the handlebars. It it bounced off, and I see my phone just bouncing in, in the mirror, sliding all over behind me. I was like, dang. I turned around and tried to get it. Before I got back there, it got run over by a car. And when we lose our phone, I didn't realize how much I was tied to it. Yeah. Everything. My life was in my phone, because I'm not one to remember... Passwords, a gazillion passwords. All my bills are done online. I, you know, I don't have many bills, but the ones I do, they're all paid online. Uh, different apps, and all my passwords for, for that were on there. So if anybody ever got my phone, they have access to every account. You know, whether it's 401k, retirement, pension, uh, email, whatever. I have it. my passwords were in there, my username. I know it's stupid, but I don't like remembering all that stuff yeah Uh, so my phone got ran over Um, i've been without you know i had to use i get been using my work phone um try to get everything on that
1: Um, well we made it work we made it work despite the several breaks in contact this week we made it work so i appreciate your time today and this has been wonderful talking to you and getting to know more about your story um i just in terms of like lessons learned in your life or perspective that you have today a message to leave with our classmates what would that be in terms of where you are in life and and what the future holds for you
2: without a doubt I say enjoy yourself enjoy life we only get one shot at it there are a lot of things that we find that we think are so important and when it comes down to it, they're not uh, family, friendship, and enjoying yourself. Because we, we can't take anything with us. Short time that we have here, enjoy ourselves. There's uh, a couple of incidents with the the brain surgery that were you know, potentially life threatening. That sometimes uh, people reevaluate things where, where we stand. Uh, everything from uh, For me, religion, my beliefs, um, you know, I went from being agnostic or an atheist to a a true believer. I had some things in life that there's no doubt in my mind that the good Lord and God and Jesus Christ saved me. I don't know why, uh, but they have twice. I went into my my second surgery, actually both surgeries. I didn't have a care in the world. I wasn't concerned about how it was going to turn out. I just knew that the good Lord was going to take care of me. And and it did in both 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 implications. So I I wasn't afraid at all. Um, just all right, there's something that's gotta be done, let's let's get it done and so I can get back to, to living life. And it it really impressed upon me how little time we have and to make it don't wait. Don't wait till we're old to do things, because those times may not come. I'm a spur of the moment type person and be good to our fellow man be an upright uh, person i uh, do i have a saying that i use do the right thing just do the right thing and and enjoy yourself uh, Enjoy life
1: uh, do the right thing and enjoy. Enjoy. yeah do the right thing and enjoy life that'll be that maybe what i'll title this episode so um it's uh, again, it's been a total pleasure connecting with you today on this old grab podcast. Uh, and uh, you've got a, you got a great story. Thank you for just being who you are and kind of setting an example for us on the importance of keeping perspective like that. So thank you so much.
2: Well, thank you for having me, Jamie. I really, really appreciate it. And any classmates out there that, that see this, feel free to, to look me up on, on Facebook or Messenger. You know, get in touch. I'm not one to re- stay in touch or reach out to other people. Um, want a place to stay, if you want to come down to beautiful Florida, uh, just reach out to me. You can stay with me. I'll kick my son out of his room for, for a week. Uh, he'd be cool with that. But, but thank you, Jamie. I appreciate the opportunity to be on, there, on your show.
1: Well, thank you so much. And so I'm going to stop the live session right now. Uh, thank you to all of our classmates that have joined us today. Duty shall be done. And 91. Trent, you can stick around for a second because we're stopping the live feed. Dude, you were freaking awesome. This was this was so great. I mean, I can't believe with such little prep, we actually pulled this thing off the way that we did. It was great. So thank you so much, man. It was incredible. Well, I'm,
2: I'm glad you think it went well. i like I said, I didn't, I hadn't listened to the, the other podcasts. Um, I did go through it and saw different people who, who were on it, and I said, dang. And I definitely wanted to take the opportunity to to uh, listen to those other podcasts, and it's, it's definitely a, a way for me to keep up with everybody, because I really hadn't done that. I went to my first reunion, um, what, five years ago or so, yeah. um, and I hadn't seen, been in touch with any classmates. Uh, since except for Craig Romanowski, he lives up near, near Buffalo. Uh, he and I linked up a few times, uh, when I was in New York. But other than that, um, I hadn't stayed up with any of my classmates.
1: I've had wow. so many people, uh, yeah, so many I people do. have told, so many folks have told me like, you got to keep this thing going. Like I originally had set it up as just kind of a, a run up to our 30 year reunion. It was in support of our class giving goals. So I had a purpose for it then. And so and then when that all came to a close, there was a question about whether I would continue or not. I had so many people reach out to me, say, please continue. Like they find this to be such a great way to get to know our other classmates, but also give perspective and meaning to their own lives. And, you know, we're on these parallel journeys. We're all we've all been in the same place at the same time, similar life events. It's good to know. And also, I think there's this intimacy that we have having gone through what we went through at West Point. Where you don't you don't need to bullshit each other. It's just you know it's life. So that's what's that's what's cool about this forum, I think.
2: Yeah, I I really do. Looking forward to watching uh, listening to the other other podcasts. Uh, see what's going on with with everybody. Uh, you know, and it means you getting in touch with them too.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I,
2: I hope you do continue it. It's uh, I think it's a great forum for. for yeah to learn from others uh little tidbits here and there and and to stay in
1: touch yeah absolutely
2: people
1: in their lives yeah all right well hey listen man thanks so much have an awesome day and uh and i will um i'll stay i'll i'm gonna post this on our facebook page and i'll let you know when the link is live
2: okay i appreciate that thank you very much jamie i appreciate uh, the offer to uh, come onto your show
1: Yeah, it was a lot of fun. A lot
0: of fun. I don't know why I act the way I do Like I ain't got a single thing to lose Sometimes I'm my own worst enemy Guess that's just the cowboy in me I got a life that most would love to have But sometimes I still wake up fighting me And where this road I'm heading down my lead. I guess that's just the cowboy in me The urge to run, the restlessness The heart of stone I sometimes get The things I've done for foolish pride For me that's never just the cowboy and me Just the cowboy in a song